0: Hey, everyone. Technically, you're getting two days in history today because we're running two episodes from the History Vault. Hope you enjoy. Hi, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that uncovers history one day at a time. The day was March 29th, 1857. India was under control of the British East India Company, and Britain's rule was becoming more troublesome to Indian people. The British were changing up the social structure drastically, and many Indians were growing disillusioned with the East India Company's activities. Dissension was bubbling among sepoys, or Indian soldiers serving in the British Army. So on this day, a 29-year-old sepoy named Mangal Pandey attacked two British officers. Unrest had been brewing for a while, The East India Company entered India in the 17th century on the pretense of trading. But by the early 18th century, the company's role in India had transformed to be more political. At the time of the Sepoy Rebellion in the 1850s, the East India Company was really flexing its muscle as an extension of British imperialism. Politics, the economy, and culture were subject to the whims of the British. There weren't that many British people who actually lived in India, at least not nearly as many as there were Indians. But Indian royalty had entered into deals with the East India Company that they believed would benefit them and their states. India was divided into states, and the British were given the power to have troops and British residents in each state. In return, the British would ensure royal Indian families would thrive. But the British motivations weren't so straightforward. As British influence grew stronger in India, the East India Company weakened the power of Indian leadership and attempted to dismantle Indian cultural traditions. James Andrew Braun Ramsey, Marquess and 10th Earl of Dalhousie, was a key figure in this dramatic expansion of British power in India. When Lord Dalhousie became the Governor General of India, he instituted aggressive policies as he believed in the superiority of the West he championed Western education in India, developed a transportation system, instituted telegraph lines, and instituted social reforms like suppressing female infanticide and encouraging education for girls. But the most controversial part of his political career in India was his aggressive imposition of British administration throughout India. Under his oversight, the East India Company annexed many Indian states under the doctrine of lapse, Provinces still had royal rulers, and when one of those rulers had no biological heir, the ruler could ask the British government if he could adopt a son to be his successor. But when Dalhousie came along, he realized that he could refuse this permission to adopt, so there would be a lapse in the line of succession, and Britain could swoop in and annex the territory. This was a sketchy policy subject to abuse, but the British used it to acquire more land and power. Dalhousie used the Doctrine of lapse in the state of Aud in 1856, when the East India Company deemed the ruler incompetent and took control of the state. This didn't sit well with many of the sepoys who were from the highest caste in Aud, as they lost rank and privilege in the transition of power. As many Brahmins, or people of the highest Hindu caste, lost money and power when they were supplanted by British officials, they grew more and more unhappy with the East India Company. On top of all this, some Indians suspected the British were planning to convert everyone to Christianity, and all of the new social reforms were upending Indian society. The sepoys were also facing singular problems, as some felt slighted by low pay and some were being passed over for promotions in favor of white soldiers. But the straw that probably broke the camel's back was the issuance of Enfield rifles. A rumor spread that the rifle's cartridges had been lubricated with lard from pigs and cows. As Hinduism considers cows sacred and Islam prohibits eating beef, the fact that soldiers had to bite the ends of the cartridges to load the rifles was a huge issue and seen as offensive. So on March 29, 1857, Mangal Pandi, a Brahmin sepoy, decided to protest this potentially malicious action and kicked off the uprising by shooting a British sergeant major and a lieutenant. Pandey was arrested, found guilty, and sentenced to death by hanging. In April, sepoys rebelled by refusing to use their guns and were severely punished. But by May, the uprising had turned violent. Sepoys in South India largely sided with the British, but many in the Bengal army mutinied. Off-duty British officers and civilians were killed. The British fought back by killing sepoys with bayonets and even sometimes shooting them out of cannons. And they murdered Indian civilians. These devastating and bloody battles lasted into 1858 with major incidents at Delhi, Kanpur, and Lucknow. But in the end, the British military established control by slowly and strategically retaking cities after the rebellion had quieted. The rebellion ended on July 8, 1858, after more than a year of brutal battles. The rebels had not achieved their goal of gaining their independence from Britain. India didn't get there until 1947, after a long and arduous 200 years of British rule. But they did cause some setbacks that required some major changes in India. The East India Company was put out, and India came under direct control of the British crown and armies which had been largely Indian before were reorganized to include mainly British troops and a number of diverse Indian soldiers. That way, there was less of a chance for the troops to organize a mutiny. The prospect of converting Indians to Christianity was squashed, and Britain even began meeting with Indian representatives on cultural issues. But even though the British had rolled back the imposition of some social measures, Britain expanded their administration in India and Western systems continue to influence the Indian subcontinent. I'm Eve Jeffco and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at T-D-I-H-C Podcast. We'll see you tomorrow. Hey everyone, it's Eves, and welcome to another episode of This Day in History Class, a podcast that brings you a little nugget of history every single day. The day was March 29th, 1947. Malagasy nationalists launched an uprising against the French colonial government in Madagascar. The Malagasy are people of Indonesian and African origin who live in Madagascar. Malagasy rulers had long attempted to resist British and French influence in Madagascar, but France annexed Madagascar by force in 1896. In August of that year, the island off of the southeast coast of Africa officially became a French colony. Once the French were in power, they took over administration and the economy, But resistance to French rule continued upon French colonization. The Minalamba Rebellion, for instance, began in 1895 as people in central Madagascar fought European influence. More opposition to French rule emerged across the colony, but the French quelled a lot of the opposition. Still, nationalist groups formed as people grew more opposed to foreign influence. Madagascar was occupied by the British and South Africans in 1942. And during the Second World War, the living conditions of the Malagasy got even worse. Workers were exploited through forced labor, rice was requisitioned for the war leading to famine, and tens of thousands of Malagasy's were conscripted into the French army. So nationalist sentiment continued to grow. In early 1946, After World War II ended, two Malagasy nationalists, who were elected to represent Madagascar at the first French Constituent Assembly, as well as a Malagasy writer, formed the Democratic Movement for Malagasy Renewal in Paris. The political party advocated Malagasy self-government within the French Union. Two of the leaders of the party proposed legislation in the First Constituent Assembly of the Fourth French Republic that would make Madagascar politically independent from France. The legislation was strongly opposed by the French government. Colonial Secretary Marius Moutet declared a war against the Malagasy independence movement. The U.S. government criticized the actions of the French, but the conflict escalated as nationalists were moved to action. The Party of the Marginalized of Madagascar formed in June of 1946, in opposition to the democratic movement for Malagasy renewal. A lot of the members of the party were from coastal communities and were the descendants of people who were formerly enslaved by the Marina people. The Marina people are a Malagasy ethnic group whose rulers had a lot of political power in Madagascar in the late 18th and 19th centuries. The Party of the Marginalized of Madagascar had France's support and was not nationalist at first, though it eventually supported gradual independence. On March 27, 1947, the leaders of the Democratic Movement for Malagasy Renewal called for the Malagasy people to remain peaceful so that they could secure a path to Madagascar's independence. But on the evening of March 29, Malagasy nationalists executed surprise attacks on the eastern and southern part of the island. They attacked a French military garrison, plantations, and other places, and they arrested people who had sided with colonial authority. The uprising soon gained more supporters and spread north on the island, but the conflict turned extremely violent. France acted with force against insurgents who were armed mainly with spears and knives. The French government dissolved the democratic movement for Malagasy renewal, and its leaders were sentenced to death, later commuted to life imprisonment. By the end of 1948, French forces had effectively suppressed the uprising. The death toll is disputed, but some tens of thousands of Malagasy combatants and civilians were killed. Around 550 French civilians and government troops were killed. Madagascar, then known as the Malagasy Republic, gained full independence in 1960. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you want to send us a note on social media, you can hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at TDIHCpodcast. You can also send us a message via email at thisday at iHeartMedia.com. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. Hope you're staying safe and see you again tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.